nice chilly morning though. It's called Boxer's Day. You know That's why weird. it's called Boxer's Day? No. Because all of the servants for the lords of this of the manor that everybody worked for. Okay. They the lords got all the stuff they didn't want. So they gave it to their servants, and the next day was called Boxer's Day. They had to find out what was in the box that nobody oh. wanted. <laughs> and it's it's, it's more celebrated. It's more celebrated in Canada now okay. than perhaps Christmas, uh, primarily because Christmas is the wrong time of the year for a. Um, I'm a blank here. The name of the that herds their flock is a shepherd. Shepherd. A shepherd herds their flock in the spring. He uh, Christ was born on the first day of spring or thereabouts, mm-hmm. according to reference to the situation. So we're celebrating actually about three months early. <laughs> I'm never one to miss a party, so I want to make sure I'm there. I think what happened was the church tried to capitalize on a pagan holiday, which was the solstice of winter, the first day of winter. So um, I think it's very worthy, especially for those who live in the north, to celebrate the return of the sun. The longest night of the year is over, and the shortest day should be celebrated. We're celebrating the return of the sun because we're freezing. That's worth celebrating. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Reminds yeah, me. One of the first things I lived learned in Anza was he who gathers his own wood gets the first heat, and he who cuts it gets the second heat. And uh, it never pays to keep most of it for the third heat. You got to sell the wood. To, you know. Okay, <laughs> that's good advice. Okay. Uh, and strawberries have to be sold within days. They're well, you're, perishable. You're a strawberry grower yes. in your free time. And a tree grower, too. I came at 21 with the idea that I would reforest the forests, which really needed reforesting in the end of the 1900s. That was when the bark beetle and the wood brewer had taken over and pretty well diminished 50% at that point in time. And here we are 18, almost 19 years later, and uh, the fires and droughts have taken another half of that. So just in the last 20 years, or right at the end of the teen years, the forest still existed, and so did all the critters that came with it. So when I look around here in the valley, there's really no true forest. I mean, I see some tall trees, but... The forests are miniature. They're in the chaparrales, the red shanks, and the ceanothus, and the scrub oaks, and all those look like just shrubs, but they're certainly capable of protecting deer and other critters and birds, often riding off through this chaparral and... In forgotten hillsides, you'll see the deer and the wildlife that we visit. We're the visitors. So um, when I was just 40 years ago, Anza had trappers catching 
um, weasels and fox and other smaller animals that I don't see anymore. Well, I I live in Awanga and I've seen fox, mm-hmm. the gray. little silver, a, gr- gray, a silver, okay, yeah, gray fox, gray fox, right. And um, I've seen here at uh, here in Anza in town, I've seen like a black-footed weasel. Yes, we have varmints I've seen over by the Jim Canna and weasels. Uh, there's also fox, uh, gray fox. I've had come to the pond in years past on my property on Batista. Uh, I've seen uh, a gray fox in a tree at the highest point on Kawea Mountain. In a tree? He climbed the tree at the top of the trail to see who was coming. He apparently saw me coming and when just I arrived he had to run down out of the tree right past me to get away. So that was how I spotted him. He will have a fox up in Idlewild is not unusual. Uh, even in Garner Valley, they chew water lines and drip lines and hard line to get to water. They have very sharp teeth. I can always tell when a fox chews its 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 triangularly pointed teeth. They're very good at it. <clears throat> so um, when I found uh, a lost uh, bighorn sheep in Cougar. Uh, the first Cougar Canyon the first thing to come along was uh, a mountain lion or cougar and chewed on the thigh bone and chewed off the end of it and left it all within a matter of months after the the, uh, mountain goat tumbled down the cliff may even been chased by the mountain lion right the park is aware of that tenacious relationship between mountain lion and sheep but so far appears that because of the lay of the land and the terrain uh, the bighorn have enough to protect themselves and are growing in numbers they got to about 260 borrego bighorn sheep back in the early years um, of the 70s when the park started. Now I believe it's 680 or something now. So it's taken 40 years to grow. So they, they do an actual count? Yes, they do. Just like we do a, a, a count here on Christmas Day for the uh, bald eagle. And I they chem it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, 30, 40 years ago, even just 25 years ago, uh, both the bald eagle and the golden eagle were here in Anza in the spring and fall. Of course, many of them will migrate that time of year. Obviously, when it's very hot, they're up in the high country of Idlewild, and in the in the winter time, they're down in Borrego. Mm, okay. So Anza, so they migrate. Anza migrates. It's in and out twice the year or half the year. They may be in this area more often, but the count is at Christmas time, so apparently the seasons are extended so that counts can be done uh, during our vacation or off time from work. (laughs) (laughs) Seems convenient. But it brings up a point, and that is the wildlife, the animals in the plant kingdom have no idea what 
and when there's a holiday, it's all the same day to them. But uh, just 45 years ago, I found um, the uh, rattlesnakes were quite large, maybe six feet and as big as a fist. Um, there were uh, large insects, a six-inch longhorn beetle flew in one summer night at my lantern. Walking sticks on the window could be 12 inches in length. Nowadays, we're lucky to see them at four inches in length. Insects have indicated that their size and survival rate have diminished in relation to the environment because of the loss of the forests and the water on the surface and so on. So it's gone from high country to high desert in reference to the region. So you think it's an environmental, though, not uh, pesticides? It's, it's, it's both. It's both. It's all of it. it. Desertification is a term where it burns off, whether it was done by man or naturally, and doesn't grow back in a matter of a few years. So... Um, since the snow line has climbed from 3,800 feet up to 4,800 feet, the valley floor here in Anza is no longer, ha- we don't have to live in the snow. We can look at it, but we don't really are in it anymore. And that is definitely a, a, a warming of the climate by raising that that freeze level. And as a young child, and even in the early 70s, the soil could freeze two inches down. Most gardeners realized that the season was over at Thanksgiving and didn't start until Mother's Day. Now uh, it's much longer. So another thing that broke a chain in the early 80s thanks to off-road vehicles on Memorial Weekend was them killing off snakes, the natural predator gophers. Um, Now we have 10 gophers for every acre in Anza. So what can we do to bring the snakes back? um, Well, we have to... um, put snake crossing signs up that hunters will probably use to shoot at. Um, I don't know. That's something worth working on. That would be a 4-H project, perhaps. Bird boxes to bring back the woodpeckers to get after those bark beetle and wood burrowers that killed off the forests was was a method that we tried. I personally worked at fighting those insects on the trees because I'm more of a forester um, nurseryman than an arborist, but in recent decades I was forced into becoming a woodcutter to drop the dead trees. Our heritage, we lost our majestic inheritance just 25 30 years ago so it needs to be replaced okay yeah. well circling back to the the initial part of the um, of this talk we were, you were talking about uh, uh, replanting the forest well in part the climate change 
has changed the list of trees, the types of trees that will do better. Pinions are more drought tolerant, so are the Cedrus deodora or California Christmas tree, and even the incense cedar, if given water, um, five, six year drought will be enough to diminish those survival rates. But uh, these types will offer evergreen and are excellent choices for reforesting. But unfortunately, the Forest Service is all about accessing whatever wood they can get at. Um, it's not about really planting entire forests the climates may not support. So we've had to adjust to the numbers and the, and the varieties. And, um, and honestly, the, the increasing in wind and, and flames, uh, five-acre flames moving 50 miles an hour have to be considered in the placement of those trees uh, and their relationship to structures. Uh, the only thing that's going to pay that is the uh, county tax on those structures unless the federal government comes around and really gets serious about re replanting. I think that's going to have to be done as it has been in the last 40 years by, um, by the people in uh, domestic forests around our homes. So we'll see how that works in the decades to come. But that's the thing. It takes a whole generation to enjoy those trees. But when we look out over the, uh, you know, we're surrounded on four sides by, by these beautiful mountains, and they're clad in vegetation. Um, it would seem so. And even the reverse is true when you climb onto the peaks and look down onto the desert floors, the canyons are where the water is and where it's actually more undergrowth and green. Like in the lower Willows region, you can barely get through there. There's so much water. Um, but I can remember 40 years ago when the forests were dense and the wildlife was plentiful, the animals were everywhere. Uh, so to think of the forests here, they're sparse. There's you know only uh, one out of four trees left in 40 years. So it's likely that efforts to replace them will be done with more desert type and more native than uh, a timber that produces wood. We're already changing our whole society and our homes on wheels. I'm mobile, modular homes is all temporary on wheels. It's no stick-built homes is a rarity now. So we're very non-mobile. We're only looking at five years in planning, not 50 years. Well, I've noticed that, uh, and this goes back obviously, you know, probably a generation or two, but um, people planted pepper trees which are not native, and they planted eucalyptus, which is not native, and I probably for you know uh, a fuel source, but not realizing that they're robbing the native uh, plants of, of whatever precious water there is, uh, and you know very little will live under a eucalyptus tree unless they're you know naturally selected for that anyhow. Yeah, they're very oily, but and ignite uh, and burn. They're an excellent firewood. Uh, but then so is pinion, um, pine. 
but it's which not is native. growing. Though. No, so. it isn't. In fact, it's much slower growing, but it burns as full oily and very hot. I was thinking in terms of the native trees more for food production than for um, pinions produce nuts that are excellent. Uh, some varieties of pines produce needles that can be steamed and eaten. So, and, and all of that provides for the wildlife, the birds and so on. Uh, but when we look at uh, history, just 50, 100 years ago, there was photos indicated that there was quite a lot of wildlife that just aren't there. The numbers have increased in in people and automobiles, but at the cost of all of that. So, uh, um, it's just the way of the of the world, but our society is shifting and becoming to realize that if you move to a rural area, you don't want to bring a dollar store to town with you. <clears throat> they cater to the poor. There are 30,000 of those stores. They have more of those than Walmart. And many of us are already broken the habit of driving off the hill to Walmart. We've learned how to live otherwise. We see changes that are going to force those who haven't done that yet. So, so are you still replanting trees and trying to reforest, or have you given up on the, that idea? Um, no, I have not given up. I want to live another 25 years. That's why I won't give up. So I'll be planting trees as long as I'm capable. And it is rewarding to look at a tree that was planted in 1962 by community efforts that I was involved with at 11 years of age and are of same age in my property in 1962. So it, are you talking about the trees around the bank? I'm talking about trees downtown Anza, the incense cedars on the highway. Oh. Those were all planted in, in 1962. 1962. Yeah. So here we are, and they need protection. They're gotten. Well, let's say the highway has expanded and gotten closer to them, and Caltrans is eyeing a few of them, and a few former businesses removed a few. So a community effort at adopting one of these trees so that all the remaining trees are adopted by the community could save them and keep them as part of the ruralness of the community. After all, that's the established agreements of the people with the county. And by having Caltrans, the state level, come in and remove these, we've got a conflict of interest. We were here before Caltrans. So it's quite possible that Caltrans will win in the end because they have numbers of cars and we only have a few trees. But in the meantime, it would be a great project for the community to get behind. Adopt a tree, downtown ends of trees. I think that's a lovely idea. Yes, let's do that for okay. a New Year project. <laughs> I love it. I'm certainly on board for that. 
when you do go and replant, are you talking about a residential? Are people inviting you to come and plant trees, or, or is this something you're going out in the wilderness and, and doing on your own? Well, of course, in the winter when there's rains, people think of planting a tree mostly to remember someone or a favorite animal, which is um, fine and dandy, but uh, overall with droughts, long-term droughts, us uh, tree nurserymen are also in a drought with sales. The trails are not being hiked on. They will disappear. If it isn't for 40, I mean 450, maybe 500 hardy young souls from all over the world that happen to use the Pacific Crest Trail in March and April, that trail would disappear too. There isn't a lot of people who can maintain miles and miles of trails, especially after a fire and then a flood. It takes years, years of work to build and rebuild trails and maintain them. Back in the mid-80s when they came out with large satellites, whole generations stayed home and watched. And, and the trails just about disappeared. Today we have even greater numbers or percentages of people behind their cell phone or big screen at home instead of on a trail. So it's, it's a, a real threat to getting out and taking a hike and being grounded and tuning into who we are in the grand scheme of this earth and the cosmos around it and the stars overhead my word, it should be mandatory for us to at least one night in a month go outside on a new moon preferably and seek and find your shadow from the stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another project. We'll get the uh, Ans and Awanga to turn off their lights for one hour yes. so that we can And freeze your ass for a few minutes. <laughs> <clears throat> But oh, but what a beautiful sight! I'll guarantee. You know, and from our backyard, you don't have to go down to I know Anza Borrego, no, and you don't you have don't. to go down to Joshua Tree. You can that's actually right. stay in your own backyard and see the stars. That that's you, you might know. have to install a light switch on your outdoor light, but uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, and that effect of seeing your shadow from the stars will have the same effect as driving up to the top of the mountain, Thomas, perhaps at 6,800 feet, and look down on the valley floor and get a broad point of view about you and your community. So just stepping out and looking at the ferment overhead, it's free. And that might lead you down a trail after that. So well, even taking a, a moonlit hike you know on a short trail mm -hmm. I've seen some other uh, local conservation uh, organizations uh, down in the desert area Hiking. That they, yeah that they are they're organizing like uh, moon moon <laughs> hikes okay. and I thought wow that's how romantic is that but <laughs> well actually it made sense when you came across the desert and the horse-drawn wagons or by horse or foot to get to California in the mid 1700s I'm sure they used the moonlight to do that there were some areas where the ground was probably 120 degrees and during the daytime and they had to time their travel just like a gardener 
times they're planting. The moon is real and its cycles are real whether we want to be a part of that or not, which makes us or should make us realize that we live in spite of nature. We're not the ones living with nature. When we visit the back country and the high country, we're the visitors and they're looking at and through us, all we can do is hope to see them, but they see us. Who's the wiser? Who's the more aware? We live in spite. We're the domesticated. We build our homes. How much of our budget do we use to protect ourselves from nature? That's something we're thinking about. <laughs> and the county won't even allow us to live in a tent anymore. I could now, how these homesteaders could have never gotten started that way. So the county is really in the way in many rules and regulations and restrictions and using health, safety, and welfare as the reason behind it. Certainly with the numbers of people we have here now, that perhaps is justified, but just takes that freedom of adventure away from building your dream. <laughs> it's a new year, though. Yeah. So, so New Year's resolutions uh, are to uh, make lemonade. If if life gives you lemons, right? That's so, right. Yes. Right. Uh, so, our New Year's resolutions are to adopt a tree. And, yes. And to take a hike. And we, we to will. Go out there. And in so doing, we're going to end up building trail system, so that we can get by bike or foot. Personally, I live a mile and a half out of town, and back in 1958, that was quite a ways out of town, but only a mile and a half today is pretty close to town, which makes me able to take my bicycle from my home to the post office door faster than I can drive. It's only a mile and a half, but nevertheless, the point of following the rule of the road in the parking space and the walking in that's uh, um, a fact so uh, getting on the trails I would find when you would pass somebody coming the other direction they were always willing to stop and share camping choices after all they had just come from and likewise and that hard huff and puff to the peak was worth the view I find going down the mountain is harder. You're having to fight gravity. Going up, you're just huffing air. <laughs> wow, I never never thought of that. That yes, your weight is you, you, pushing you. You know, climbing to the highest point in the world, Mount Everest, covered with ice. Anybody can get there. It's getting back down that's the problem. So. So, anywho, adventures can uh, go astray out in the wilderness. It's important to do planning and have proper equipment under adverse conditions that are unforeseen during the time that you have this plan. Uh, so, uh, but then some of the greatest adventures are when uh, one's plans go totally astray and and you got to improvise like Apollo 13 did. 